Hey folks, welcome to the Green Root Podcast with Josh Schlossberg. For this episode, I'm going to announce that this is the last episode of the Green Root Podcast. Am I just throwing up my hands in anger and frustration? Eh, not really. Basically, this was a good experiment. I wanted to do this for a year, and that's what I did. This is the 52nd episode. I started this in May of 2020, and it's basically a year's worth of episodes. I did episodes every week on a broad variety of topics tying into environmental issues, trying to get to the root cause of a lot of this stuff. So many great guests. I want to thank all the great guests who've come on. So many folks doing some really, really incredible stuff. I want to thank all the listeners who spent the time to take this information into their brains and who appreciated what was being said. I got into doing this because I was inspired, I suppose is the word, by the pandemic (laughs) in the sense that this contagion originally came from nature. We don't know for a fact exactly how it spread, and there may be other reasons for that. But what is a fact is that pandemics often come from nature and our mistreatment of nature, and they are a wake-up call. And I thought it was a really good time where people might start looking at the world differently, saying, wait a second, there's stuff we don't know going on. Things are a bit more chaotic. We can maybe rethink things. I'm not sure if I've changed my mind. I still think that we have a window now that is unprecedented. However, I have to say that a lot during the pandemic in terms of how lackadaisical everyone, I don't want to say everyone, but we we let a pandemic spread and it became a political issue around literally preventing disease. The United States has a quarter of the deaths. It was a bummer in terms of obviously that's a horrible thing, but it made me think about the bigger picture of environmental issues. And I did do a little bit of a rant several months ago when I was really upset about how it seemed like politicians are just like, yeah, whatever, we'll just see what happens with the pandemic. And here the richest nation in the world has a quarter of its deaths. It was upsetting. And I think the larger takeaway is that if we're not even going to do much as individuals, as advocacy groups, as politicians to slow down active death, (laughs) I don't think we're going to really be trying too hard about climate change and deforestation, things that seem a little more distant and aren't as immediate an impact. Now, I'm not trying to be all Debbie Downer with this, and I don't know if that's true, but I saw throughout the pandemic how just human psychology makes it so we can't really tackle things. And even if we want to, even those who want to seem unable to really do much about it. Now, I want to state that, of course, so many people were doing the right thing during the pandemic, mostly, most of the time. And so many people are trying for environmental stuff. So this is not really to shame and blame. This is more just my coming to terms with how things are and realizing what is the real purpose in me continuing to put out stuff to what only like a hundred something people? And I'll get into distribution in a second. So part of it is just not like, oh man, this is all going to just turn terrible. It's just, I'm not sure 
this is the most effective way to get environmental messages out there. I'm not sure if people are ready for those messages. And I'm not sure those who might be ready for the messages are willing to do much about it. So that's what I'm accepting. And this was a cool thing to do for a year. And I think it was lots of fun. And this stuff is still out there. You can go to greenrootpodcast.net and you can find all the 50 episodes. I don't feel like I covered everything, but I covered a lot of stuff from consciousness in terms of environmentalism to stuff on forests, tons of stuff on forests, obviously to animal issues across the board, really. And I really, really, really loved doing this. So I'm actually going to be doing another podcast. It is a biological horror podcast. I write horror fiction. And that I actually feel like is going to be more effective in terms of me getting information out there, maybe not preaching in terms of here's what exactly should be done. But here's the situation. When you read a book like The Lorax when you're a kid, that sticks in your mind more than, say, factoids or somebody telling you how to think very specifically. I think getting into characters, getting into stories is really effective. And I've been writing horror for a while and been doing a little bit of that, but I'm focusing more and more on that angle. I'm writing a folk horror, environmental folk horror novel that actually ties into biomass, but is about way more than biomass. And I just have a novella published by DNT Publishing. And the reason I bring that up is just I'm trying to ride that momentum and I think that might be more effective. I was an activist, organizer, advocate for years. I felt like only people who already wanted to hear what I had to say would listen to it. And then I started working on biomass stuff, which I was working on forests. And those who've listened to this podcast heard me say this over and over again, but this will be the last time. So I was then, okay, well, this is the new threat to forests. In fact, can be worse than cutting it down for lumber, just raising down mountainsides and to burn for a tiny bit of energy. And I started calling attention to that. And I found that the biggest obstacle was other environmental groups, environmental groups at best ignoring the issue, but at worst, literally supporting advocating for burning trees for energy and advocating that taxpayer money goes to that. And it's still happening to this day. Now, that's why I stepped away from all of that activism. And in fact, even inside the tiny anti-biomass movement, those who got the most funding, those who got the most media were actually advocating for most of the biomass in the country. They basically were just focused on a couple particular types of technology and saying that was not good for, say, air pollution reasons and forest reasons. And then these other technologies, which actually were more polluting, they weren't just staying aside from that. They were actually advocating for it. So this it was just too much to be a part of that anymore. It felt it felt too corrupt. And yeah, the the establishment environmental movement is just one of the most corrupt things I think that is in existence, right? Like I don't even blame a corporation for trying to make as much money as it can because that that's its purpose. But an environmental group that is actually advocating for environmental destruction, I can't really think of anything worse than that. And I just saw so much of it. It was just I, I had to get away from it. And my funding was drying up. And actually other folks, and I haven't talked about this before, but other folks who were pretending to be anti-biomass in the uh, anti-biomass movement. They went after my funding. Uh, they actually, in one case, successfully got me fired from a job. 
and then they tried to go after another another contract that I had and it didn't work. And that individual told that person, you need to stop what you're doing. I could have sued them for tortious interference. At that point, I was just like, if this is if this is my movement, I don't want anything to do with it. Now, that was not the majority of people. I, I don't want to put it that way. But the majority of influential folks, a lot of times there's a real competency there and there's a lot of great stuff that happens. But a lot of times they're compromised because in order to get grant funding from corporate foundations, you have to be compromising all the time. And once you get down that slippery slope, you start thinking about things like, well, I don't like how this other person's doing this thing. I'm going to try to get them fired. It's just an ethical quagmire. And so I was seeing these individuals advocating in favor of public lands logging because they didn't like this other person who was in the movement. And so long story short, that's a lot of why I stepped away from being an organizer and environmentalist. And it was funny, 10 years later, everyone's pretending that they were opposed to biomass the whole time. Uh, they weren't, and they continue to pr- pretty much pretend they're opposed to it. You don't see these folks actively going out there and really doing much about it. And I know the folks who are on the ground working on this, and I know they're not getting much help from these folks. So that's just the distaste that was in my mouth. So I went on to do environmental journalism. And I found that, well, of course, everyone knows journalism is corrupt, right? Like nobody trusts the media. And I'm going to be honest, you you shouldn't. Most of what is put out is is biased, but everyone's biased, but it's an unconscious bias. And that's the worst kind of bias. So if you're aware of your bias, you can correct against it. Everything's going to be a bit biased. So it doesn't mean all media is garbage all the time, but Pretty much anything that's said, there is a measure of bullshit and a measure of truth, and you got to be able to figure out those percentages. So if you're lied to enough times by an entity, yeah, it's probably a good idea to stop listening to it. But the thing is, it's all like that. Everyone filters the world through their values and their biases, so you're never going to get a pure perspective because that really doesn't exist. So... Anyway, my perspective, my my experience inside the journalism world was I started to really get a lot of stuff out there. And then I hit a brick wall at literally the peak of my career after winning all these awards, being in dozens and dozens of publications, because I was starting to push the envelope and I was trying to genuinely give all sides of the story or as many sides of the story as possible, particularly ones I didn't agree with. And my editors were ideologues and they didn't want that. They wanted just what their readers already believed. And I was just like, what's the point of me doing this? If the point of me doing this is just being a propagandist, then I might as well just be an activist. And I already decided not to be an activist. So journalism is all activism these days. So I was like, all right, enough of that. So I thought I just, I don't even know what there is much left to do. So let me just do a podcast. And so I did the podcast. Now, It didn't get out there that far, and I will mostly blame myself for it. Now, I was focusing on quality, not quantity, and we'd get average 100 downloads per episode, which is not nothing, and that's why I kept doing this, was because, all right, people are appreciating this, and I would get a lot of feedback about that, but it wasn't really growing, and I had to decide, am I continuing to do this podcast just for my own ego, or is it that... I'm stopping because of my ego because I feel like enough people aren't listening and my words are so precious, everyone should be hearing it. I don't believe that, but I do at the same time believe that a thing should be expanding. Now, not infinite growth, right? Because that can't happen. But (laughs) for a podcast, it could get a little more than 100 people without 
being unsustainable. So it wasn't. And I did put I did put money into promotion. I didn't put a ton, but I did put some. And I have a lot of other brands and things that I do stuff with. And so I know how to get stuff out there. Uh, in some ways, I did the bare minimum, but I always put out the episodes. I did social media. I paid for some ads. But it didn't, it didn't really take off. And again, it could be my own failings, or it could just be that maybe not that many people are interested in what I have to say. Or it could also be it's hard to get stuff out there in the world when everyone has a podcast. People thought that the internet was going to make everything democratized and everyone have a chance. It's actually kind of almost in some ways the opposite of that. Just like it was before, you had to get through the gatekeepers. It's still the same thing. It's pay to play. You have to put a lot of money out there to be able to get your stuff seen on social media. And of course, a celebrity, somebody who's already well known is going to get the stuff out there way more. And that's most of the listens. So there's just it's just a really difficult thing. The only real way to get through this stuff without spending, you know, tens of thousands of dollars and spending literally all day on social media and things like that, it's akin to the way a band starts to grow. And I've played music and used to do gigs and stuff like that. So I have an understanding of that. So a band like, I don't know, I just want to, Motley Crue, I don't know the specifics of Motley Crue, but a band like that, that became really big. Did it just happen out of nowhere? They just did a few gigs and then a record executive was like, wow, we want you. And then Kablooey. No, what happens typically is bands play for a while. They accumulate a small fan base and because of those fans it gets out there more so it's really dependent on that inner nucleus to support the entity and to spread the word and then more and more people start coming and then pay attention to it that is the same with podcasts it's the same with a lot of things that are that are out there independently independent publishers and independent books things like that you need that small fan base to really tell others. And I know some of you definitely shared the podcast and got it out there. And I really appreciate that. And I'm not blaming anyone for this. I'm just stating a fact, what I believe to be a fact. There just wasn't enough of that for it to really percolate out there. And of course, a lot of people in the mainstream establishment environmental movement would hate anything I say. And I understand that. But the other thing is that those of us who are in the alternative environmental perspective, a lot of folks have a kind of view where unless everyone agrees with them 100%, they aren't really a huge fan of it. And I say some controversial stuff. I have my own individual opinions and it doesn't really fall into the group thing. So I have a feeling that a lot of folks who might like some of the episodes, they don't like the other episodes or like you had somebody come on that critiques this. It's like, yeah, I want to talk about all this. And did you listen to the podcast and get my perspective? People just didn't want to be responsible for uh, affiliated with something that kind of broke the rules in that regard or could be perceived as breaking the rules. So I think that was part of it, just the controversial nature of some of the things I'm talking about. And the while I'm both 
radical extreme on environmental stuff, I'm also willing to hear and honestly entertain, say, a timber executive. Like, I'm actually interested in that perspective, and I'm sure from their point of view, they think they're doing the right thing, and based on their values, they might be. So that's also very threatening to people inside the environmental movement. So I, I kind of accepted that. That's why I've never become a politician, because I don't that's not the path that I walk in terms of, okay, what, what's the safe thing that everyone's kind of on board with? So I think that's part of why not a lot of it was really even spread. And, you know, think, I'm not trying to blame anyone, but think for yourself, if you've appreciated the podcast, if you've been listening to it over the months and how many times that you shared it and ask yourself why or why not. And think about that in terms of other things like, writers you'd like to see more of and things like that. The reality is it's kind of up to us to be spreading the word for the things that we think are worthwhile because there's a lot of competition out there and the establishment entities, the ones that are lowest common denominator, they're always going to rise to the top. That's just typically how it is. There's a lot of times you have to have a bar of competency, of course, but you also have that have that mass appeal. And so unless we take it into our own hands and promote one another, it's not going to get anywhere. And that was honestly, I will reveal that was part of my experiment was just, I know I can do a bunch of self-promotion for myself, but I I don't want to do all that. Let's see if having 50 people on and then having them all on the email list, if that will get stuff out there. I noticed a lot of people who were on the podcast didn't even share their own, their own, show. So again, not blaming, not saying this is bad or good. This is just how it is. And it's something that maybe we can learn from in terms of environmental stuff, but also just in general. Anytime we think about why doesn't this get out there more? Well, there might be a reason for that, right? So what else here? I I did come to terms with certain root causes. So I learned several things in terms of root causes, and I think a lot of people brought up some interesting things in terms of when humanity might have gone astray, what is actually behind environmental degradation and stuff like that. After all of it, I came to two conclusions, and one of them I'm not going to talk about. And the reason is I have evidence that people are not ready for that information. And I have done enough of putting out uncomfortable truths that I know at a certain point in time, it's, it's not a beneficial thing to do and until people are ready and people just feel like they're not going to necessarily know where you're coming from. And it does more harm than good in terms of trying to communicate it to people. So I'm actually going to keep that one to myself, but I've been researching this for quite a while and I have, I think, come across something that I don't see out there very much in terms of where some of this drive is to say, maybe hoard more than you need, right? Because that's what's behind environmental degradation, of course, and a major component behind it. There's so many pieces, but that's just one thread of it. Yeah, I'm not gonna talk about it, sorry. (laughs) But the thing that I will talk about happened on one of the episodes is talking about this concept of biocentric consciousness. So this idea that we have different stages of 
adult psychological development. We all acknowledge that children develop in different ways, but as adults, we do develop over time in different ways. And I'm not going to get into this because there was a whole podcast about it, but I believe that the evidence suggests that there are levels of consciousness at which you start caring about the natural world. And most people are not there. And unless they're there, they're not going to care. So telling them to care, doing advocacy, care, care, care. If anything, that pushes them away. Doing journalism where you provide actual, actual journalism when you provide facts. If they've already made up their mind, it's meaningless to them. So you can't change those people until they shift along. Now, there are certain things that can facilitate that shift, and I believe actually storytelling is one of those. But so we have those folks, and then we have the folks who are in the establishment, mainstream environmental movement who who do care, but at the same time, they're a part of this corporate model where they have to well, they're, they're focused on the business component of their environmental group, which there's a validity to that, but that becomes the predominant thing. And so it sacrifices what they're actually doing. That's a level of consciousness. Then there is a level of consciousness where it's like, we really care about this. We're not going to let the business model supersede the ethics. But unfortunately, at that consciousness level, it's it's abandoned the organizing principles. So it's kind of just more about feeling than it is about getting shit done in a way that is strategic. So say what you will about the establishment environmental groups. I don't think they're helping the natural world very much, but they are good at getting their message out there. They've got a, they run a tight ship and the entities that are in the alternative environmental movement that seem to have a better understanding of what actually is going on in the world environmentally and what we should advocate for as you see, it's just a bunch of lone wolves kind of doing things that can be valuable for sure and often are in great work, but it's just happening around the edges. It's just really fragmented. And so one of the last things that I'm engaged in right now is there is this monthly conference call that I'm a part of where we are discussing a way to knit together this lone wolf activity. And we'll see where that goes and I'm also on the board of Rural Watch Africa Initiative. It's an organization based in Nigeria. It is focused on environmental and social issues, so how poverty is leading to environmental degradation. And I feel like that's really doing a great job getting to the root of stuff. Uh, what I'm just going to reveal and just my disappointment of, I spent months asking folks if there is a nonprofit where a this organization could get fiscal sponsorship so we didn't have to start up a brand new nonprofit. And I've got a pretty good track record in the environmental world. Um, I asked just if there was an entity. I, it took, I, I did this for months and finally we might have one. We might have a potential fiscal sponsor. sponsor. I'm not going to name it yet because I'm not sure if that's going to happen. If so, and they're listening, thank you so much. But to me, it was a, it was a real bummer in terms of wait a second, here here you have people talking all day long about we need to really deal with environmental issues. I have see people talking all the time about Black Lives Matter, and I agree Black Lives do matter. When it actually comes to hitting the ground and doing something about it rather than just virtue signaling or posting something on social media, 
so many people are unwilling to even engage. And again, I'm not trying to point fingers and blame or like, this is good, this is bad. A lot of it could be my fault, but this is what I've noticed. And that was, that was a bit of a blow to realize, I don't want to say the hypocrisy, but just the inability to take feeling and turn it into action. And here's an entity doing some great stuff. And say what you want about me. I've got a track record of integrity. You can trace my stuff back to the beginning and you may disagree with me, but I'm not going to be promoting an entity, an organization that I think is garbage. I'm not going to be running off with the money or whatever that is. This is just so an entity that is in Nigeria, which has been the poorest country in the world, according to poverty indexes, they're doing some amazing stuff. A little bit of money from the U.S. over there means so much. All we need to do is being able to make use of the tax structure in the U.S. to base it here, and people didn't care. And I didn't really take that personally. See, that wasn't about me. It wasn't my organization. So I was able to have that distance from it and be like, holy crap, this is this is our movement? Um, so I have to say that was a, a, a major blow as well in just needing to step away from the so-called environmental movement because yeah, I don't want to use the corruption for that. I don't think that what it is like, oh, we are, we will not help this organization to line our own pockets. That's not what's going on. It's just this inability to take what we actually care about and make things happen. And I'm not pretending that I can do that all the time or that I know the answers, but I'm at least willing to acknowledge that that's a problem and say, hey, let's put our heads together to figure it out. Most people are like, nah, we'll just keep doing this. And I don't want to say that. So anyone who's just doing their own effort and you can look at the bigger picture and see it's not really going to be enough. I'm not saying that what you're doing is meaningless. In fact, I would say the opposite. It is important to do those those pieces of it. If you're able to protect this one area of national forest or one timber sale, that is huge. That's the foundation of all. So it is 100% essential. I want to make sure my my ranting doesn't come across in that way. But if that is the end of it, you've got to take a look at the trend. Obviously, that's not enough. Obviously, that's not going to work. So it's not a matter of stop what you're doing. It's how can we knit this together in a way that actually makes a difference? And that's what these conference calls are about. And we'll see. I'm not going to announce anything more because I don't know if anything's going to come of it. But that's the only hope for the environmental movement. That's, in my opinion, that's it. The establishment environmental movement is over. The It's not that the people in that are doing bad things or that they're bad people. I think there's actually a lot of good that's going on in your average mainstream environmental group. But they do more harm than good is the problem. So even with the good, it's doing more harm. And the whole planet of the humans situation with the blacklisting and the environmental groups opposing it and organizing a blacklisting campaign and media basically being a part of that, that made me realize, wow, we're, we're not even allowed to put out alternative viewpoints. Now, you could say, what are you talking about? The film got 10 million views on YouTube. Yeah, it did, despite all of that, right? So imagine if a Greta Thunberg or whatever had actually advocated for that. It would have been in film festivals around the world. It would probably be in line for an Oscar. Not that Oscars mean anything. They don't. But it's good marketing and promotion. So I learned a lot from that situation where there are entities that really don't even want the discussion to be had. 
and not because it's anti-environmental, but because it's actually so pro-environmental that it exposes them as basically anti-environmental. And people aren't ready for that. People are like, what do you mean? There's an environmental movement and then there's not. And yeah, clearly it's folks aren't ready for that stuff. And I don't want to spend all my time complaining about these groups anymore. It's just, it's boring. And especially when the alternatives are not getting their shit together. So my last effort is to help out with Rural Watch Africa Initiative in terms of just doing little bits to see what, what I can do to help. And then in seeing if there's a way to knit together these this lone wolf pack. And otherwise, I'm going to be focusing on my writing. And I'm not going to go much longer because there's, there's no point in that. But I don't want to blame others, and that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to take my own accountability for all this stuff, and that's what I did over the years, and that's why I kind of stepped away from the environmental movement also. It's like, am I actually making any change? You know, whatever, I can blame the foundations and blame all the other aspects of the movement, but myself, like, am I capable of really getting this stuff out there? And the answer might well have been no. The consciousness shift, though, we can assist with that, but... I think a lot of times we're pushing people back into their ruts. So when people hear saying, we have to care about the environment, and people are like, well, well, maybe I'll say, by burning a bunch of trees for energy, I think anyone is going to be like, that sounds ridiculous. You're an environmentalist. and you're So that set us back for a long time. I think that made us not credible, and, and the environmental movement is not credible anymore. Talking about ignoring stuff like saying climate change, very important. And then not saying, but not nuclear power, which is the most damaging energy source, worse than biomass even. Basically, the climate movement has become a shill for nuclear industry, and they're not doing anything to oppose it. And I'm starting to really suspect that a lot of folks in the climate movement are actually pro-nukers, which that's fixing the climate and having nuclear power everywhere is not an answer. So Anyway, all the perspectives, and I'm not going to do a holistic thing on my view of the environment and stuff like that, because that's what the last 50 episodes are. So it's all there. But here's what I'm hoping. Over time, consciousness is shifting. We are shifting in the right direction. Over 100 years ago, the concept of being an environmentalist almost didn't exist other than John Muir and a few other weirdos. So that is moving in the right direction. The question is, are we going to be moving there quick enough? I don't know. There is the issue, of course, of consumption and corporate entities and pollution. There's also overpopulation. And even if we do live low on the hog, if there are just infinite numbers of us, that's a problem, too. We can't talk about that, apparently. Um, but we did on the Green Root Podcast, which I suspect is part of why people didn't want to share stuff, which that's fine. You know, we're, we make our own choices. My hope is this, that it's actually not as bad as we're making it out to be. And I know a lot of environmentalists weirdly want things to be bad, which I think you should ask yourself, if you want things to be worse than they really might be, why is that, right? I used to think that, and it was because I was depressed and angry, and part of me was like, good, good, that's what the world deserves. But I think one thing is clear. Yes, there is an unraveling, there is ecological turmoil degradation. I think that's an absolute fact. Everyone really knows that. I don't know how bad it is. I really don't. I think in some ways it's awful. I think it's an unraveling. The question is, is it maybe not as bad as we're making it out to be? And I don't say that to downplay. I'm saying that to 
Maybe, maybe it will turn out okay. Maybe we don't have to get our shit together. Maybe the mainstream environmental groups can continue to sell out. Maybe the alternative environmental movement can not get its shit together and it will all turn out in the end anyway. And that's not something that takes away our responsibility, but it may be a alleviating factor behind the scenes just psychologically or maybe it is that bad maybe it is going to be really bad and it's what has to be right maybe we as a species just have not evolved to deal with this and there's nothing literally nothing we can do and that doesn't mean you don't try to do the right thing but you do have to ask yourself am I going to throw myself under the bus for this? The analogy that comes to mind, and I don't know if this is an accurate one, but this is what I think of. So when I was getting my wilderness first responder training many years ago, which is basic stuff if people have accidents in the woods, one of the things we're talking about is doing CPR on somebody who's had a heart attack and you're 20 miles from civilization. And it's sort of like, is there any point in doing this? And basically our instructor said, probably not, but you should still do it. And the reason is because you never know. And because for the morale of other people, if you're just like, yeah, he's having a heart attack, he's probably going to die and you don't do anything that creates a level of chaos. That's just hard to deal with. So it's like, you know what, we're going to try, we're going to do the right thing, but maybe don't go nuts about it. Right. So that's how I'm starting to see environmental stuff. And I've been engaging in this in many ways full time for decades. So, and I'm not stepping away entirely from environmental stuff. I'm just focusing now on the writing component through stories. So I tried all the other stuff. I mean, prove me wrong. Like I would love to like, guess what, Josh, it's all different now. Or guess what, Josh, it's because we don't like you. <laughs> and, and if that's true, okay, fine. If people don't like me, then I will have to accept that and, you know, work on oneself. I'm always trying to work on myself, but you know, I'm, I'm sort of kidding. Yeah. Obviously I, not everyone's cup of tea, but I don't think that's what's going on. Um, and even if it is, okay, all I can be is who I am. I can work on myself and I can work on my skills and all that. I could just not have been a good enough organizer an activist, uh, not a good enough podcaster, not a good enough Journalist, all that stuff is entirely true, but I think there's also another layer. I think things are not typically one or the other. It's all the above. So I'll acknowledge all those things as, as likelihoods, but there are other pieces going on, and I think I see those fairly clearly. It's certain things that are not acceptable, and I've seen it because a lot of my efforts have been rewarded and, and applauded, and others have not, or the opposite of that, and I've noticed which ones fall into which category. And it's typically if I'm just kind of going through the motions and saying what people want to hear, people love it. And I don't do it on purpose. Like, oh, it's just something that in my view matches up with what everyone believes already is people love that. If I start kind of being like, well, what about this next step? That's when it starts turning people off. And if the idea is you can only be a, an activist or a journalist or a podcaster, if you're just saying everything people already know and want to hear, then I have no interest in doing it. To me, that's there's no point in that. It's too late for me to go back to believing something I used to believe when I don't believe it anymore. I'm just not going to do it anymore. So I am going to conclude the podcast by taking it out of the more 
I don't want to even say pessimistic. I feel like I'm being realistic here. And I'm not really coming from a, a self-pitying perspective. It may seem like that. or and I'm sure there's a little bit of that, right? Or even, a, oh, judging everyone for sucking. I'm really not. I'm just trying to lay this out as as I'm seeing it and just realizing that me stepping away from the podcast is also sort of symbolic in terms of realizing that I was right before to step away from from activism. And it's not to say that activism isn't important. Activism is extremely crucial. So don't make it seem like because I'm stepping away from it that I'm condemning the concept of activism. I think just right now the activism, the vast majority of activism that's going on right now is either counterproductive or not enough. And if I can make a contribution, it's to see if I can draw those components together. And I welcome you to engage in that. I still think that pretty much everyone who's trying to do stuff is on the right team, right? And if you learn, oh crap, I was advocating for that thing. And if you start realizing, why did, why did I believe that? And why did I push back against that? I think everyone has and can make mistakes. I've made plenty of them. It's just about learning from them. So people who are willing to learn from that, that's fine. I've learned from certain things over the years. I try to put it out there. The truth is people aren't going to want to hear it until they're ready for that. And I wouldn't have been in. If I had listened to this podcast 20 years ago, I probably would have not been into a lot of it either. So that's... That's my ramble about this. I'm just obviously saying things as they come to me. Um, and I once again thank everyone for listening, for those who did share and help get it out there. Thank you for that. And even those who aren't listening to this, which I don't know why I'd thank you because you couldn't hear us, but I'm going to send my thanks through the ether to say thank you for trying to help the natural world this is not about some just weird fetish for trees. It's literally about life itself. Everything comes from that. I care about social causes, but I realize that advocating for a social cause without addressing the underlying environmental stuff is literally meaningless, literally pointless. It isn't to say that these social causes aren't important. They are, and in many cases, they tie directly into environmental issues, as I've discussed on this podcast a ton. But I do think the environmental stuff is the groundwork and the foundation for it. If we don't figure that out, the rest of it is is really pretty meaningless. It's kind of like if the dam is about to break, uh, if you're not patching up the dam, the idea if you're building a new house in that floodplain, well, yeah, you're saying houses aren't important? No, <laughs> we, we probably should live in a house, but if the dam is just going to come knock down that house in 20 minutes, you got to plug that dam up. So that's what I see the environmental movement as ideally. It is currently not that, but maybe it can be that in time, or maybe this is just the process and it's kind of all okay. And it's important to go outside and look and you know what, there's still a lot of forests that are intact. There's still a lot of clean air and clean water. We haven't despoiled it all. It's not about downplaying, but it is about appreciating what is out there. And I think as I discussed on the most recent podcast, being able to stay doing this stuff for a long term, you have to be able to maintain your balance and your sanity. And I think maybe I put too much into it years ago and I had to pull, pull away for that reason. I've tried different avenues. Right now, I'm, I'm not giving up on environmental issues. I want to make that 100% clear. I'm just now turning it into 
my fiction. So I'm going to be starting something called Josh's Worst Nightmare podcast. It's around my horror fiction. A lot of you listening to this, like, I don't care. And that's weird. And that's fine. It's not for everyone. But guess what? We do need to reach people beyond the so-called choir. And I think putting stories out there is a long-term goal. So that alone is not enough. But we need the stories. And I think a lot of those are missing. And we need the journalism. And we know, I know for a fact, most of that is missing, even in the environmental journalism field. It's, it's, I don't want to say it's a wasteland, but the corruption I've seen in that is distressing. The environmental movement advocacy is so important. It's so important. Right now, we need to create new models of it, is what it comes down to. New models of all this, new models of storytelling, new models of environmental advocacy, new models of journalism. It's we we I don't think the systems that currently exist can be reformed, but at the same time, spending all our time just yelling about them or trying to tear them down without creating something better is pointless. And my final analogy is something I've been thinking about a tapestry. So if environmental movement or whatever is a tapestry, right, and the current tapestry is really frayed and it's thin and it's not going to get us through the winter, well, we got to unstitch we got to pull up several of the stitches right they're broken stitches we do have to pull up some stitches but we do have to weave new stitches so we have to do both if you're just weaving stitches on top of broken stitches it's it's not going to be an effective blanket it'll be all spread out and won't keep you warm and if you only yeah if you only focus on that that's not enough and at the same time if you just pick out stitches you're literally not going to have a blanket to keep you warm or a tapestry, whatever my analogy is. And so, yes, finally, my final bad analogy is I'm uprooting the Green Root podcast, getting to the root of the issue. Sometimes you got to pull things up by the roots and start anew. And that's what I'm doing. So thank you again. And I hope everyone takes care.